The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Engaging conversation with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. It's 205. And guess what, Andrew? I know exactly what. It is a hump day. Hump day. We've made it halfway through the week. Well, I guess, you know, Monday was just like a free square for us. Didn't have to so do it. So you're calling it a free square? Yeah, that center st- square on the bingo card. We, you can mark that off before it even begins. All right. Yeah, lots to come on the show today. We're going to be talking uh, sleep mm-hmm. uh, coming up just after 3 o'clock. We want to make sure that you're uh, all dialed in at 420, 25-ish when we give you that word of the day for the winter getaway to Montego Bay. Only a couple of days left in this contest for you to get that word in. We're making the draw on Monday. Oh, I can't wait. I love that phone call. It's always so nice to give somebody a big prize like that. There's still some time, as you mentioned, to enter today. Oh, I guess on Thursday, Friday. That's right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm here my Thursday, My weekend's Friday. today. Sorry, Paul. Well, it's not really your weekend because you got that other job. I got so. that other thing happening, yeah. Yeah, that other thing. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little later on. But we do want to talk about this because, boy, oh, boy, um, well, it's been just in the news so much lately. Just uh, weeks after a couple of high-profile incidents on Edmonton Transit property, comes word security is being increased. On September 18th, a student was stabbed during a morning uh, rush hour at uh, the South Campus LRT station. And two weeks ago, a 65-year-old bus driver was stabbed multiple times at the Mill Woods Transit Centre. He is recovering. Thank goodness. It's uh, good news for transit employees who've been on high alert recently. With more on what those security measures might look like. We're joined by ETS branch manager Eddie Robar. Mr. Robar, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, I have to ask, um, is there a reason um, that these incidents have seemingly been more frequent lately? I think what we're seeing is not really an upward trend. There are certainly some more incidents of late, but from a trend perspective, we're not seeing a huge increase or influx over the year, but like I say, you know, one incident is one incident too many for sure. Well, and certainly the ones that we've seen, uh, you know, over the past few weeks. So if everything has kind of just been holding steady, as you say, um, you know, despite these two high profile incidents of recent, um, this jump to improve security um, at transit stations uh, and on buses, that sort of thing. Uh, why wasn't it done before? I think we've been working on a plan uh, since we've, we've um, over the past year, really looking at how to and what to get for their system functionality itself. So looking at the bus shields, we were intending to do a pilot. Um, obviously right now, uh, we're not gonna do that pilot. We're just gonna pick a shield and, and go with that for the uh, for our drivers looking to try and get which one they prefer. However, we've been in consultation with the union have kind of decided on what, what approach to take with that and have an accelerated plan for that because of some of these incidents um, that have happened recently. Uh, beyond that, we've looked at other safety and security measures on our transit system and looking at how we um, how we can deploy them. Part of the reason we were able to turn around this report so quickly is because we've had uh, most of this information in the wings and getting ready for uh, budget time. 
Okay. You know, before we get into the details of how security is going to increase, I do just want to follow up on Jay Lynn's question for just a moment. Some of the items which were mentioned in uh, previous releases and conversations, interviews, were lighting, for example, that, you know, some of these LRTs uh, stations need better lighting or, mm-hmm. but, it, and it seems like a problem like that. It, it doesn't seem like you need a pilot study for that. I'm, I'm just thinking of it as a regular citizen. Why don't you just put in brighter lights or more lights? No, I think that um, that is definitely something that we've been doing. We look at uh, South Campus, for example. We had a SEPTED audit on that uh, recently, looking at um, different ways to, to improve the security on site itself. Part of those studies that we do on those sites do roll into plans to make those improvements. So those improvements are happening at different lighting and different terminals, different LRT stations. You'll see that come to fruition this year. We've already got, uh, we're transitioning a lot of our LRT stations to LED lighting, much brighter, much easier for uh, for people to see. So that those stuff, those things are in the works as we speak. However, having a true facility design guideline and some component uh, people can look at and look at how and what structure you're going to have for all your transit facilities and what to expect when you get there. That's a different conversation, looking at how we roll that out, integrate into our community and ensure that we have that broader public approach in mind. Uh, Mr. Robar, it says, you know, within a couple of weeks, passengers will see more uniformed um, uh, personnel at the 43 transit stations and 24-hour security at 26 transit stations. Let's start with the uh, the uniformed personnel at all of the transit stations. What is that going to look like as far as numbers? I mean, compared to what we have right now to compared to what we'll have, let's say, a month from now. Yeah, so right now our plan is to... Uh, in the short term, work on the security measures first on the security guards. So we will be posting security guards at 26 of our stations. We've done an analysis on all of our 43 stations. 26 of them have had incidents, um, operator incidents in the last uh, five years. And those are the places we're going to start um, locating our, our security presence. There'll be a 24-7 presence, a uniformed security guard at each of these facilities. So, so one? One person, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I have to, again... Is one enough? Yeah, I Mr. have to Robert? ask, is one enough and is is 26 stations enough? Or And again, you know, uh, it's easy to, from the peanut gallery... To, <laughs> to sit here and <laughs> to ask sit here, all the questions. You know, you're the one running it, but yeah. again, sort of, you know, in my mind, common sense says, well, why don't we put somebody or at every station, and in those stations that have had multiple incidents, put two. Sure, I think that for us, we've looked at... Um, I've had previous history with the same similar approach um, in transit terminals uh, when I worked in Halifax, and these are something that we're going to implore in this location as well. We have, we'll have a rigorous framework in place, evaluation framework, to make sure that we're looking at our incidents and driving that down. Um, obviously, it's an evaluation of, of whether or not these uh, these are working. It's not just a one size fits all approach. Mm-hmm. It's not just a security guard. You know, there's other components of this kind of safety protocol and, and plan that's in place that's much, much beyond um, just one single security guard at one facility. So obviously keeping in mind that we're going to be monitoring the progress of this and reporting back to council, there's other facets of this plan that will have impact on, on that as well. I guess one the one thing that kind of jumps out, and I know there's like multi-levels to this when it comes to the security um, plan that is, is being implemented or improved upon. I just think one security guard, I'm just worried now about his safety and wonder if it might not be better if they were working in pairs or you know 
you know, just had someone else with them or her. Sure. And I think the expectation around the security guards and, and um, you know, it's very important to, to um, always know that that's not just the one support that they do have. Okay. I mean, the security guards, uh, opportunities to really observe and report, really get quick response times. We have TPOs that help us with those and inspectors as well to, to support them. So it's not just they're, they're saying they might be there on the terminal when you see them by themselves, but they are connected to our entire network. You know, let's talk about that uh, response times, because that's my other question. With the cameras that you're going to install with, sure. uh, you know, the red buttons or whatever, the panic buttons, the staff, what is typically the response time for help to be on its way? It really depends on where it is in the city. So I think at the time of day, uh, where it is in the city, the response times vary on all, all certain accounts. Obviously, if we have a, a critical incident, our first response is not to to our own staff, but right to EPS. So EPS has great response times and been very responsive to incidents um, on transit. And specifically, we're very responsive in the case of the last incident that um, that occurred and caught that person very, very quickly um, at the at the facility itself. So the response times have been great. They've been a good support to us. I think that for us, it really is geographical in nature and, and time of day warranted to see um, what those, those look like. I think that this part of this comprehensive plan that we've been talking about has that, that beefed up uh, presence to give us that ability to be even more responsive, whether it's through um, the security cameras that we do have and, and the monitoring that we do have to get good response times to our inspectors on street to the security guards we'll have at facilities. How I'm sorry. How how often are um, Edmonton police officers um, patrolling through these areas? I think that's the conversation piece that we talked about inside of, inside of this plan and growing that that scope. So when we look at um, the advancement of TPOs as part of the plan, but also that integration with EPS and looking at um, how we can enhance some of the activity that they provide for us. We do have an LRT beats team. You know, they're operating four days a week looking through all of our LRT stations. But with this plan, it looks at expanding that to our transit terminals as well. Okay. So I'm curious to know as well if this has been looked at or something that has already been implemented or will be implemented. But do you have, for example, plain clothes police officers or security officers um, along the route and those officers that are either in uniform or out of uniform, are they carrying a weapon of any kind? Well, I couldn't speak to the weapon or whether they carry a weapon, but I'm, um, you know, the um, the conversations we've had around the opportunity for us to kind of augment the service plan that we do have. Obviously, right now, our LRT beats team is uniform presence, mm-hmm. but we have talked about having um, uh, a, a plainclothes officer as well. Hmm, interesting. Let's talk about um, the. Let's move, I guess, a little bit from LRT into into. Well, it's talking about cameras and about making sure that uh, everything is um, you know, about fifty percent. Is that LRT? Is that buses? What is that? Is that everything? So all of our LRT are equipped with cameras, hundred okay. percent of our LRT fleet. So we have all that taken care of. About fifty percent of our fleet on transit are are taken care of right now. Uh, we're installing all of our paratransit vehicles as we speak. And we will have 90% of our fleet, our entire bus fleet, conventional bus fleet, installed by the end of the year with a residual 132 buses to be completed by March of 2019. Is it difficult for you, uh, Mr. Obara, to have, you have the city encouraging people to take public transit um, and to be, you know, to, to be less car centric, but then you have incidents like the ones we've had. Is it a struggle for you to convince Edmontonians that? transit is safe? I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, our, our system is, is safe. 
you know, our commitment is to make it safer anywhere we can. And if we look at, you know, the responses that we've got from our current riders and and from folks that take our system now, we're on a yearly basis um, asking people their perception of safety. What does that look like? And the 87 million trips a year that we do have, and those folks are always consistently in that 80, 85% range. And you see similar responses to some of the articles that are in, uh, that have gone out around the security of the system itself. So I think that um, the majority of our riders do feel safe. I think that um, we can always commit to making our system safer, and Council has certainly put that uh, in the forefront in the last week, and are certainly committed to kind of uh, helping us down that road. I think these improvements that we make will have a significant impact on on that, that perception and and an impact on the instance that we see on on the line itself and in our networks. So. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to what that looks like in the future. You know, I just have to say, and again, just as a citizen, um, Las Vegas is a big city with a lot of potential crime, a lot of crowds. There's there's a lot of opportunity for all kinds of small crimes. And I know I've talked to a detective uh, from Las Vegas on this show before, and one of the things he's talked about as being their leading uh, deterrent is just visibility, just um, the fact that uh, casino uh, security deals directly with uh, Las Vegas police, that they're on patrol, that they're walking around, they're wearing bright shirts. You see them everywhere, and it's proven to be in Las Vegas a deterrent. Sure. And, you know, and I just wonder, again, getting back to the number of personnel that you might deploy or in what stations you might deploy them, can you... Are you able to cooperate with EPS to have more uniformed police officers making a walkthrough? Are you looking at more potentially, if need be, more security in uniforms just to have a presence? Yeah, I think that's the intent of the 24-7 security conversation. You know, boots on ground are, are the best deterrent to, to criminal activity. There's no doubt about it. I think we look at um, the impact that security presence can have. They have that same um that same that same impact on on criminal behavior and criminal activity, and we've seen that in previous um, previous uh, transit systems that I've worked for. Um, certainly, with that in combination with that is our uniform presence from our inspector process, and how does that incorporate into this plan as well? And on top of that, you know, our TPO present and redistributing them in a way that that provides a a better um, security service to our to our system. So when we look at the deployment of them, when we deploy them, where we deploy them, how we deploy them, and what they're doing in that deployment is something we're also looking at in conjunction with that um, that cooperation with EPS. So some of those transitions and changes we can enact now, and we're working through what that looks like uh, as we speak. Um, obviously, our most visible change will be the um, the security guards, and uh, we'll still have that ability for roving patrols and, and, and spreading our, our TPO officers out a bit further in the system itself. I think one of the other uh, big visible ones as well, obviously, is going to be the shields um, that are going to be on uh, on transit. What kind of feedback are, are you getting from, um, from, the, from drive? Drivers uh, about about these moves, Eddie. Yeah, I think it. Um, you know, most of our conversations. Like, I, I go out to the facilities um, and been out every quarter talking to drivers about security enhancements, and and it's certainly top of mind. You know, having that um, that ability to to have something that protects themselves is something that is of big interest to the union and um, and my employees. And certainly, from my perspective, um, anytime I can get something in place that gives them a level of comfort and mm-hmm. safety in their job is something. I'm, I'm certainly interested in, and obviously that support um, goes right through to council. So, 
and uh, I know you're going to be evaluating and 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 looking at looking back at, over it over the past over in, in a year or so. Is is there more that you would like to do right now? If you had more, if you had more money, is there would there be must dos right now on top of this? I mean, I think that. Um uh, right now, and this comprehensive plan that we put together was uh, what I would call swinging for the fences. Okay. You know, we're looking at our our best um, methodological approach to kind of attacking the issue and making sure that we're supporting not only our our, our drivers and and operators, but uh, our customers on the street as well. So, I think that um, right now, I think this is a good proof of concept, and we can go out and really have an impact on the transit line itself and ensure that we've got you know the best foot forward for our security measures. Now, if I can figure out where to park, we're good to go. Uh, <laughs> um, can we do something about Century Park, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Eddie Rabar, ETS branch manager, uh, talking to us today about upgrading security measures on your public transit. Thanks for taking the time to get today. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, still to come on the show just after 3.30, we'll talk with uh, Mark Tenerington, who is uh, the head of the union for the ETS uh, drivers. So we'll talk to them, or talk to him about... Uh, how he's feeling about it all. Um, good first step. Mm-hmm. Good first step. Any step is a great right? step. Yep, uh, absolutely. We were talking about it before the show, though. Isn't it always how what, it has to be a, a big thing mm-hmm. before For something a big incident? A big incident before something happens. Exactly. So, Andrew, we mentioned during the uh, 2 o'clock news that the owner of that trucking company involved in the Humboldt Broncos bus crash has been charged. Uh, Transportation Minister Brian Mason says Sukinder Singh of Adesh Deal Trucking has been charged with non-compliance with federal and provincial safety regulations over a six-month period. Um, and this just came down. We were just telling you, I was just telling you about it off air. The, the province has now announced um, new training or mandating training for new commercial drivers and uh, saying that it will strengthen safety requirements for commercial carriers to enhance public safety. Hmm. Um, so what this means, and you know more about this because yeah. you've been in the business. Um, so what this means... Um, It says Alberta's mandatory entry level training program for drivers seeking a class one or class two license will include a standardized curriculum taught in all driving training schools, specified hours of training required in class, in yard and in vehicle, enhanced knowledge and road tests. Okay, good stuff. Is there more to that? Yeah, and it says drivers who obtain a Class 1 or Class 2 license between October 10th of this year and March 1st of next year will be required to retake the new enhanced knowledge and road test at government expense when it becomes available in March. Driver instructors and examiners will be retrained and retested to deliver and test the new curriculum. All right, that's all good news. Um, And then new requirements for commercial carriers will include, one, full compliance documentation when applying for a safety fitness certificate starting January 1st, uh, a mandatory safety and compliance course and knowledge test before beginning operations, formal third-party review of compliance with federal and provincial safety regulations within one year of beginning operations, and it says safety fitness certificates must be renewed every three years. Okay, those are all excellent. I know for not, not for everyone who drives a truck, because some mm-hmm. of you will feel like 
Oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, this is good news. So when it comes to the class one, class two, so class one, uh, I'm sure everyone knows, but for those who don't, so class one means you can drive anything but a motorcycle. Okay. So that's what it is. Yeah. So that's all your big trucks is who they're looking at. Class two is buses, um, those kind of things. So that would be school bus drivers and, you know, city drivers and... Um, so for the commercial drivers right, right. and carriers. Right. So... That's good. So that's talking about the drivers and their ability to handle the rigs that they're handling and their knowledge of the laws and everything else. The rest of it is about the safety of the companies that's putting those drivers on the highway. So that would include uh, regular inspections of your equipment and protocols in place for your drivers to uh, inspect their equipment and whether it's lease a lease operator or a company truck or whatever. It's putting more responsibility on the companies to be responsible for the safety of their equipment. And where you've this before in the news um, most predominantly is in Ontario where uh, it's really slipped in Ontario, had slipped over the years as to the safety of the trailers. So they put a lot of emphasis into drivers. Uh, they put less emphasis into trailers and there was all kinds of reports of stuff just falling off, off trailers. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's a two-prong approach. I completely agree with it. It's probably long overdue. Um, and I don't want to go so far as to say that having done this two years ago might have prevented mm -hmm. a situation like we had in Humboldt, um, but it might have. It, 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 it's it's important. Those are big rigs with big equipment and heavy loads out on our highway, and the people controlling those rigs should be professional drivers, and the onus for that should be both from the, on the part of the province in regulating how they're taught, but it should also be a, the equal onus on the owners of the companies to ensure that their drivers and their equipment are safe. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.